What do I kind of like own? What have I done really well? So one of them is events. And I think a lot of companies aren't doing enough events. And when you think about events, it doesn't have to be a in a big auditorium with like, you know, having spent tens of thousands of dollars and bringing in, you know, some type of, uh, you know, pop star to, uh, to, you know, to sing at the halftime break. You know, there can be an event just like on Zoom with 20 people and just bringing people together has massive, massive value. And so because you, a lot of companies and even SaaS companies as well, they servants every client one-on-one, but that client is kind of like a bit of an island and they're kind of going, you know, am I the only one that thinks that this is kind of good and I'm using it for this particular application, but I wonder what everyone else is kind of doing. And yeah, they maybe have a blog and they may be you know, kind of like, you know, share what other people are doing, but they rarely bring people together and do something where they are um, getting all these little tiny little fires, you know, and I kind of like, like get all those fires together rather than running around trying to fan every single one of them, put them together and have one big, you know, raging inferno. And you, that happens when you bring people together and people can see that they're not just the only one that, that digs this and think this, think this is great. And then it's kind of like learning from other people's, you know, ideas and perspectives, like almost like a mastermind type thing. So events are super, super powerful. The way we think about customers and growth is changing. Welcome to Customer Lifetime Value University podcast. Our goal here is simple. In under 30 minutes, we aim to give you an implementable strategy to increase your customer lifetime value. That's it. No fluff, all strategy. Hello and welcome to class, everyone. I'm incredibly excited to have Dale, the founder of Business Blueprint, one of the most successful business programs out there. Dale, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks so much, Casey. And Dale, do you want to take a moment, just give people a little bit of sense of your background and kind of where you come from? Okay, so as you can maybe start to hear from the accent, I'm from Australia. I grew up here in Sydney. I actually was a gymnast uh, in my kind of uh, younger years, and so I had a lot of energy as a as a kid, and was always kind of you know climbing things, jumping off roofs of buildings and things. And so my mum kind of put me into the sport of gymnastics to get out all of my energy, and that's where I discovered a lot of. I think it was my first like success school in a way because I learned about hard work, I learned about discipline, I learned about how to motivate myself. But the most important thing that I learned was the value of having a coach. And so when I finished school, the first thing that occurred to me, and I finished my sporting career around the same time was I need to find coaches for the next phase of my life. So I started to attend courses and workshops with any kind of uh, guru that came to town, whether that be Robert Kiyosaki or Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn or Tony Robbins, Brandon Bays, any kind of personal development, wealth creation sort of uh, expert. And that's where I sort of discovered this amazing world of personal professional development. That's what inspired me to start my first business, which was taking all the stuff that I'd learned because the average age of people going to these events was 40, 50, and 60. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if people were taught this when they were younger, like in their teenage years, that would make a massive difference. And so I started this uh, company called Empower You, which is actually still running to this day, 21 years later, I just turned 40. So I started it when I was uh, 19 and it's been amazing. So I grew that company for around seven years and we expanded into seven different countries. And then from there, I started getting involved in book publishing and in the space of three years, published 15 books, all in the the space of personal development, business education, and life improvement. So those books were amazing. And that kind of like helped me to get quite a large kind of like uh, following an audience in Australia. We sold about a quarter of a million books in the space of three years, which is pretty good for for a company the size of Australia. And then from there, I was um, getting a lot of people asking me because I was the 
I was born in 81, so the first kind of generation to kind of grow up with computers in their home and in their classroom. So I was always an early adopter of new technology. So when I launched my first business, within like a month, I'd figured out, you know, how to use Dreamweaver back then and build like a website and taught myself some basic sort of HTML. And then a few years later, we had like audio files. This is like, I know it's hard to imagine, but like back 17, 18 years ago, if you'd have an audio file on your website, like someone could click a button and someone would talk to you through your computer, like, oh my gosh, that was like a, a amazing and then later on you could put videos online and then there were these things called Google AdWords that you can click a button and you know pay five cents and people would come to your website that was incredible so I kind of learned all of these things and was doing them and I'd have all these people going how are you doing all of this stuff like it was kind of like magic and so I then started a, a company called Business Blueprint, which is the main company that I have today. And that company works with business owners and entrepreneurs to show them how to you know, bring their business into the kind of the, the modern age and uh, use more effective forms of, of marketing and how to really grow their business through great systems and outsourcing and you know, building their team. So it's a kind of a, a complete business program for entrepreneurs that really want to build a you know, five, 10, $20 million business. Absolutely amazing. And that's really cool about the gymnastics piece. I didn't know about that history piece. So that's, that's awesome. When you think about customer lifetime value, I mean, there's so many different angles to it, right? Like you can get more money up front. You could upsell down the line. Like obviously if you're in the world of doing courses and coaching, getting that person to be a lifetime customer is key to kind of maximizing the value of that relationship. So I guess, where do you kind of start? If someone's walking into this and they're listening and they're like, okay, customer lifetime value is important, but there's so many places I could go. How would you kind of guide that thought process? Yeah, there's a number of different ways to kind of look at it and we can kind of dive into a kind of couple of things that I know there's been other guests that have spoken from their experience. So I'll just talk about the things that I think I've done really well over the last sort of 10 years with Business Blueprint in terms of lifetime value. But yeah, I kind of think it's far far easier and cheaper to retain an existing client than going out and spending all the time and effort to you know get a new client. So looking after the ones you've got certainly needs to be a high priority because, um, and, and if when you're kind of good at marketing, and sales. The temptation just is to just keep getting more people in the door because you're good at it and it's kind of like easy and kind of neglect the customers that you've already got. And I did that for several years because, you know, I love sales and marketing. And so, and I didn't really see the churn that was happening because I was always bringing new people and bringing people more than they were leaving. So it was kind of still growing. And that's kind of where you can, it's things can be a little bit deceptive from talking about customer lifetime value. Cause like I'm growing, I'm growing. Therefore I must be doing the right thing. But if you were to halve your churn and still grow at the rate you are, like your business would be off the charts, you know, successful. And so that's kind of what I didn't do for a number of years. I was measuring number of new clients and I was measuring the total number of clients, but I wasn't really measuring the churn effectively enough. When I kind of later on sort of discovered you know, how much was going out. And if I retain those, how much I would have, I was kind of shocked. And I was like, there's, there's millions of dollars that I have basically missed out on. It would have been so easy just to implement some of the things we're going to talk about now to, you know, better look after your existing clients. So that's kind of a few thoughts around why this is so important. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And so let's get into it. I'm super excited to hear some of your insights and kind of what you've been doing. I think Business Blueprint has such a powerful reputation in the market. That's one of the things I'm excited to hear kind of how that was built over time. 
Yeah, and just a couple of other, before I get into a couple of tactics to sort of share with everyone here, a couple of other foundational kind of like concepts that I think are important. And I know some of these are going to feel like, you know, kind of, yeah, I already know. But if you really want to extend the, the value of every client, then upfront, having some type of uniqueness, point of difference, you know, USP, unique selling proposition, or some people would call it your niche or your niche, is really important to retain clients for the long term. Because if you're a generalist, if you're doing kind of all things to all people, then it's very easy for people to go, I can get something very similar elsewhere. And I'm going to kind of like, you know, the first, the moment that one thing doesn't go their way, then they can easily jump ship because I can, if you're just a general accountant, it's like, hey, you know, this guy's hasn't really looked after me the last couple of months. There's another accountant down there. They're offering a similar thing. They can easily move. So I think really having something that's differentiated is really important to extend the lifetime value because you want to be, you know, go from being one of a hundred, you know, to one of 10 or even, you know, one of one. So what you do is so unique and they can't just get what you do anywhere else very easily. And therefore, there's, you know, kind of less options for them to go elsewhere. And because they want to hang around people that are like them and that need what they need, because all the conversations are kind of like relevant to them. Having a niche is important. And then the other thing, which is kind of, I think, foundational as well, it's not so much just about what you do, it's about how you do it, and it's about the culture that you create. It's about the rituals that you have in your organization and how you connect and, and relate to customers, because that becomes another differentiator. It's because I like how I feel when I'm in this space. So defining what your culture is, what are the values of your organization, and making sure that you're living them and breathing them internally and also in the interactions with your clients as well, that creates a real stickiness factor because it's not only they like what you do, they like how you do it and they like how you know everyone feels when they're in your space. And so a lot of businesses haven't really thought about their kind of inward and outward culture. And so that's something as well, I think is foundational before we kind of get into tactical stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think sometimes when organizations, you were kind of talking about this earlier, but I think when organizations grow quickly, Sometimes those are the pieces that fall to the wayside, right? They lose the culture piece. They lose some of those aspects of the experience. But I, I've always felt it's very much contagious, where if you have a lot of your customers that are excited, they're enthusiastic, they're being cared for, that spreads as a culture in terms of the customers as well as your internal team. And so I think that's super important. And the USP thing and the differentiation, that's super interesting to me. And I'm curious, like before we dive into some of the tactical stuff, why do you think so many brands are kind of scared to put that flag in the mountain. Cause I, I kind of come from the software space, right? And I see how rare it is for someone to really declare we're the provider for this group, right? Like if you look at like CRMs and ESPs, you know, ConvertKit's an example, they say we're for creators, right? But very few people kind of take that stand. What do you think that reservation stems from? Yeah, I think it is because people feel that if they focus on a particular target market, they're going to miss out on opportunity. They, they're going to be shrinking their total addressable market. But it's not really about the size of the market oftentimes. It's about the, the depth and the quality of relationships that you have with your target market that really matters. Because there's no talk point talking to a million people if you're speaking just a general language and people don't really feel like you fully understand their situation and problem because conversion matters way more than kind of what your audience size is. So I think you do have to put a bit of a stake in the ground, certainly at the beginning until you, I think you can probably get to 
five or ten million dollars in revenue before you kind of need to just just by going deeper with that group say for example creators before you then need to broaden it out and you can broaden it out and certainly the, the classic example is, is Amazon it started with just you know one thing selling books online that was it and now they kind of you know sell everything you know you've got uh, AWS and a whole bunch of other divisions and now they've got Blue Origin and all of that stemmed from selling books online an issue is not where you end an issue is where you start but a lot of people don't want to start anywhere they want to start everywhere and so that just causes more kind of like problems so, you know, start, go deep, you know, spend like a year, two years, five years, you know, till you fully exhausted something and then you can easily just broaden things up. And then I, I even I like the uh, idea of, you know, just that ConvertKit you mentioned was like for creators because you can be a creator. There's different types of creators. That's that's really, it's more cultural than it is niche like uh, industry because, you know, I feel like I'm a creator, you know, and I'm kind of in the, the kind of business realm or you could be just someone that's sort of doing things differently or standing out. So that kind of gives them a, a point of difference, but it also gives them some, some some width to move as well. So I think finding something like that, that is, is kind of like doesn't, rather than, that rather than segmenting the market this way, it sort of segments it by the kind of the culture and segments it by the mindset of individuals. And I think that's uh, really powerful. Yeah, I love that. And that I think allows people to create the best affinity, right? To have affinity with you, with your brand, with your overall message, because they can relate to it directly. So that makes a ton of sense. Awesome, Dale. Well, do you want to get into uh, some of the tactical bits here now on the uh, customer lifetime value front? Yeah, I'm just going to go through two or three quick ideas here. The first one, and these are just things that I've kind of like uh, done. I'm sure you could just go online and search for, you know, customer lifetime value tips and there'd be hundreds of tips. But I thought, what do I kind of like own? What have I done really well? So one of them is events. And I think a lot of companies aren't doing enough events. And when you think about events, it doesn't have to be a in a big auditorium with like, you know, having spent tens of thousands of dollars and bringing in, you know, some type of, uh, you know, pop star to, uh, to, you know, to sing at the halftime break. You know, there can be an event just like on Zoom with 20 people and just bringing people together has massive, massive value. And so, because you, a lot of companies and even SaaS companies as well, they servants every client one-on-one, but that client is kind of like a bit of an island and they're kind of going, you know, am I the only one that thinks that this is kind of good and I'm using it for this particular application, but I wonder what everyone else is kind of doing. And yeah, they maybe have a blog and they may be you know, kind of like, you know, share what other people are doing, but they rarely bring people together and do something where they are um, getting all these little tiny little fires, you know, and I kind of like, like get all those fires together rather than running around trying to fan every single one of them, put them together and have one big, you know, raging inferno. And you, that happens when you bring people together and people can see that they're not just the only one that, that digs this and think this, think this is great. And then it's kind of like learning from other people's, you know, ideas and perspectives, like almost like a mastermind type thing. So events are super, super powerful. And so I think more companies need to run like a quarterly event or a bi-monthly event or a monthly event, just little kind of catch-ups with people around a particular topic. And that's all about adding value. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And, you know, I did four events last year and one of the events that I spoke at was yours, Dale. And I'm just amazed at the level of engagement I was able to get. I did so many in-person events and I, when I saw it was Zoom, I was like, okay, I wasn't sure exactly. I'd done a couple of Zoom events, usually smaller, but yours was like a big Zoom event, right? So I was curious of how it was going to go, but it was so well curated. The engagement was incredible in the breakout rooms. Everyone was super active. It was the best event that I went to all year. 
And I walked away from that thinking, wow, so many norms are changing, right? Like I would have never guessed that I would have been able to deliver in a Zoom event the same kind of impact as in person, but it was such a great experience. So it just shows that if people are dynamic and they're trying things like this, there's an incredible upside. Yeah, totally. So I'll kind of do a bit of a part two to that. And so you've got events, but then the other thing that we've done really, really well with uh, all of our clients to a certain level, but especially our top clients as well, because I've had many clients that have been with me for five, seven, eight, seven, ten years that have kind of gone through a, a coaching program, which is pretty rare. Most people do 12 months maximum. Some people maybe do two years, but to have clients for 10 years in the kind of coaching world is almost kind of unheard of. And one of the other things that we do in addition to events, which is like the glue that kind of like holds everything together, is experiences. And so we've done all sorts of amazing experience with people. So you know the kind of concept of just getting together and breaking bread and kind of what that does, just having sharing a meal with someone, you know, and you, you kind of like go from just being an acquaintance, you know, just like, oh yeah, that's that person to actually really feeling like you guys are friends when you, you've uh, shared a meal or shared a drink, you discover things about them that you never would have known just in that hallway kind of conversation. And then all of a sudden you feel this kind of like, lifelong connection with this person. That's kind of on a small scale, but then you can do other kind of uh, cool things as well. So, and I just look for ways in which I could create memories and memorable like experiences with my clients. So one of the things that we did, Facebook has an office here in Sydney. And um, at the time I knew someone that was uh, worked at Facebook and I said, hey, would you be able to like organize like a behind the scenes tour? Like everyone's gonna leave their desks at like five or six o'clock, but at seven o'clock we can kind of just come and almost like get a backstage pass and kind of like roll around and and have a look at kind of the you know the desk and the famous wall and all of that kind of like stuff and we did that we had drinks for people and canapes and we had a little talk from the guy who was working at Facebook and that was an experience that people still talk about oh remember when we did that behind the scenes tour of Facebook's headquarters that was really cool We've done other things as well, like um, we've done like a board break, which you know it's kind of pretty common if you go to like a Tony Robbins event. But that was something that people still talk about. We've done like an ice bucket challenge, where you kind of like you know go into bucket of ice for two minutes, and and that was kind of really awesome. We've done like yoga together. We've done like climb to the top of this lighthouse. We've done a jet boat ride. There's just things like that that you can do when you kind of together that really create kind of memories that last for forever, and people just become so when they're their closest friends in the world are kind of in your world, they never want to kind of leave that because they're not just leaving you, they're leaving that entire friendship circle as well. And you can do that online. Like I've seen certain people that like, you know, kind of bring your favorite meal and we're all going to kind of, you know, eat together, even online. And you're going to kind of, there's different kind of icebreaker or networking games that you can kind of play. And each person talks about their favorite food and why they love it so much and what their cultural background is and just bring people together. It can even work. And a lot of people go, oh, but my clients are all around the world. I can't possibly do that. Well, yeah, you could, you know, you could do something once a year have a special event like we're going to meet and I'm going to be in Hawaii with my family and uh, if you want to come for these three days we're going to do these you know kind of like this big mountain climb or this bike ride or something along those lines those type of things experiences either face-to-face or online make a massive difference I love that so much and and listening to you walk through those what strikes me is that how human they are right? I mean, part of this is just taking a step back you just use the example of being in Hawaii hey, I'm going to do this big hike if you want to come with It's thinking about your community and the people that are supporting you and building your business as humans, as other people, not just as a commodity, as as kind of a chip in the scaling business plan, but let's actually build them as real relationships. I think that's what creates the natural word of mouth and advocacy 
that helps businesses really achieve that scale and helps companies like Business Blueprint get as big as you guys have become through that natural word of mouth growth. That's something that I believe in so much of growing from being a commodity, which is inherently as soon as a better price or as soon as a better whatever, they're just gonna jump ship to becoming an experience that's really differentiated. That's a powerful message. I hope people really take that to heart and embrace that in their own organizations. Yeah, and the last kind of point that I'll share, and then I'm happy to go deeper on any of them if you like, if we have time, otherwise we can wrap. Just find ways to add value. Like, I think people, after a certain period of time, is going to go, okay, you know, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Is there anything, you know, kind of like more? And if they don't see that you're innovating or growing or adding more value in some way, then it's very easy for people to kind of go, well, I've got everything, I've learned everything there is to know, I'm just not kind of like getting any further kind of value and then next time it comes for me to kind of renew, I'll kind of look at uh, other options or where I could kind of continue to grow because um, if people aren't growing, then they're stagnating, that's where they're most likely to churn. So every year we try to think about what are two or three things that we could do that uh, we can just add value. Sometimes it's bringing out new features and saying, hey, here's this new feature, and we're gonna give it to you. There's no extra kind of fee required. Here it just is because we wanna kind of like, you know, value you. Or you might say, we're giving this feature to you because you've been with us for three years. So you don't give it to everyone. You're starting to reward longevity. So people start to go, oh, cool. Uh, so I've been around for three years and I get this really cool thing, great. Well, wonder what will happen when I kind of get to five years. So that's another thing that we do as well. When people sign up for our program innocently on their application form we just ask for their date of birth and people are like oh i'm filling out a form blah 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 we have two different dates that we have one is their birthday and the other one is the day that they joined our our program which is like their anniversary date and every year we send a gift on their birthday and we send a gift on their anniversary so you know we've done things like these are those um the glasses that kind of block out the blue light type thing so they cost us like 10 bucks you know so they weren't very expensive at all and we just sent them to them you know in the mail and we've sent other kind of uh you know gifts for them like a computer cleaning like little thing that kind of like you know gets all the dust off your computers and we've done like you know special diaries and things like that and so people People kind of go, oh, why? Every single you know year, they mark the occasion with something kind of like special. So these are different ways we add value. We add new features. We've added like there was this technology that we discovered where you could create highly personalized legal documents. I looked at the software and it was going to cost like my clients $7,000 each to buy the software. Went to the company and said, look, what about if I kind of like bought 400 accounts? Like what would you do for me? And we did this kind of cracking deal. We've now offered that service which is worth seven grand as part of their membership, you know, with us. So finding ways in which you could add value to your clients and recognizing their birthday and their anniversary and acknowledging them for that. I see hardly any companies do that. And it's just so easy to do. It's crazy. Just, you know, when they become a client, you've got that date in your CRM, then just mark the occasion and do something special. I love that, man. That was another gold one. I mean, there was so many. I, I take notes while I run the podcast and I have so many good notes, but so few people, I think, reward longevity and they reward their loyal customers, right? There's so much of a focus on the front end where everyone's running promos and oftentimes existing customers can kind of feel like they're being gypped. Like, hey, I've been a loyal customer for all this time and now things are getting cheaper for other people. So I think looking at it like from a loyalty perspective, as well as that's super interesting negotiating on behalf of your customers. You're the first person I've ever chatted with who's told me a story like that. And I think that's so powerful. I think other organizations, if they were really sitting and thinking about how they could add as much value to their community as possible, I think would do more of that. 
I think there's absolutely that capacity, that bulk capacity. So that's a really good takeaway for people. Cool. Yes, I don't know how much time we've got, but uh, hopefully those tips will help. Those were phenomenal. Dale, I think this is an awesome bite-sized episode. We'll keep it concise for people, but as one parting thing, how can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you, if they want to learn more about Business Blueprint? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so we now work with clients uh, all around the world, even though we started in Australia and New Zealand. We're now helping entrepreneurs everywhere, which is fun. So if you want to find out more, go to businessblueprint.com businessblueprint.com and you can download a free marketing checklist that we kind of have on our website that'll kind of get you into our our world. We'll follow you up with some um, awesome free content in the form of some on-demand training that you can attend and then we run also a lot of uh, live events that you can tap into and if you like what we do then you should uh, reach out and uh, work with us. Brilliant. Dale, thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. Thanks buddy. Good to chat. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Customer Lifetime Value University podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Bonjoro, the world's first customer loyalty platform, giving you the tools to create customer loyalty and leverage that loyalty to improve your customer lifetime value.